Hello, and welcome to another edition of Maplewood Barn Radio Theater, brought to you in conjunction with KBIA. Tonight, we bring you the first installment of a two-part Halloween special presentation taken from the writings of one of our favorite authors, William Makepeace Thackeray. Our performance for this evening is based on his obscure yet beautifully written short story, Bluebeard's Ghost. We will bring you part one of the tale this evening, and part two will be aired at the same time next Friday. Now, Bluebeard, as you might remember, was a wealthy aristocrat, feared and avoided because of his horrifying blue beard. He had been married several times, but no one knew what became of his wives. They seemed to just disappear, and each time he would remarry. Bluebeard had to travel far away to find his last wife, Jean, because the local girls were afraid of him. Shortly after marrying Jean, Bluebeard announced that he must leave on business and would give her the run of the castle. He gave Jean all the keys to his treasure rooms, but warned her not to use the littlest key, which was for a small room under the castle. He admonished her not to enter that room under any circumstances. She promised not to do so. Soon after he left, though, she was overcome with curiosity, and in spite of warnings from her sister Anne, Jean entered the small room under the castle, only to find her husband's terrible secret. Around her, embalmed in vats of formaldehyde, were the grisly bodies of his former wives. It was quite a scary scene. Bluebeard soon returned from his business expedition and immediately set out to kill Jean and her sister because of their discovery. The sisters sought refuge in the highest tower of the castle. Bluebeard was about to do his worst when their brothers arrived and slew the murderer. He had no heirs but his wife and left Jean a wealthy woman. And with that, we present part one of William Makepeace Thackeray's story, Bluebeard's Ghost. Dear sister, you must stop grieving for your departed husband. You entertain no visitors. You hardly leave the house. You spare no expense for Black Bombazine. The fatal incident still haunts me. But what of your brothers, Jean? You have not seen them since... No, nor shall I. With their impertinent mustachios, filthy cigar-smoking, and odious table manners, they are most disagreeable to me. Yes, you are right. They always were wild, vulgar young men. But after what has happened, to even think about them strikes horror into my delicate soul. How can I bear to look on them after what has occurred? When I think of Bluebeard, the best of husbands, ruthlessly cut down by their cruel, heavy cavalry sabers. Oh, Anne, it it makes me... But Bluebeard (laughs) did leave you a great fortune, did he not? Yes, and for that, I do not want his reputation sullied. It was a splendid monument that you had erected over Bluebeard's family vault, dear Jean. Dr. Sly's epitaph was incomprehensible to me, but others have said that it was the most pompous yet pathetic poetry in the graveyard. Yes, everyone here is in the midst of profound mourning. I even ordered the scarecrows in the orchard to dress only in black. It seems that you, my only female relative, are the only person not willing to wear mourning colors. We have already spoken of this, dear sister. And I must speak again to request that you dress appropriately for the proper grieving period. Jean, I will never wear mourning for that odious wretch. I will trouble you, Anne, not to use such words in my presence regarding the best of husbands or to quit the room at once. It is no great pleasure to sit here. Perhaps we should visit the small room under the castle floor, sister, where the other Mrs. Bluebeards are kept. Impertinence! 
They were all properly embalmed by Mr. Gannel. How dare you repeat the monstrous calumnies regarding my late husband, the best of men? Take down the family Bible and read what my blessed saint says of his wives. Read it, written in his own hand. If you insist, sister. Friday, June 20th. Married my beloved wife, Anna Marie Scroggins. Ah, see there? And then, Saturday, August 1st. This bereaved husband has scarcely strength to write down that the dearest of wives, Anna Marie Scroggins, expired this day of a sore throat. There, can anything be more convincing than that? Read on. Tuesday, September 1st. This day I led to altar my soul's blessing, Louisa Matilda Hopkinson. May this angel ease the sorrow of she whom I have lost. Oh, isn't it marvelous? Wednesday, October 5th. Pity the wretch who is obliged to record the demise of his dearest, Louisa Matilda Hopkinson. A complaint of the head and shoulders was the sudden cause of the event, which has rendered me the most miserable of men, Bluebeard. Every one of his wives are recorded in this delightful, this pathetic, this truly virtuous and tender way. And can you suppose that a man who wrote such sentiments could be a murderer, miss? Jean, do you believe that he did not kill them? Gracious goodness, Anne, kill them! They all died as naturally as could be. Was it his fault that the doctors could not cure their maladies? No, it wasn't. And when they died, the inconsolable husband had their bodies preserved. Then why did he chase us up the tower, pray? And why did he sharpen his long knife and roar at us to come down? Merely to punish me for my idle curiosity, for looking in the small room under the castle. The dear, good, kind man. If I had not been endangered as well, I would not have been in such a hurry to summon help from our brothers. Ah, don't. Don't recall that horrid, fatal day, Anne. If you had not misled our brothers, my poor, dear, darling Bluebeard would still be alive, still my soul's joy. Your version of the story, then, is that Bluebeard has been unjustly maligned, and he did not, in fact, murder his wives, and all feeling against him is simply an odious prejudice? Yes, that is precisely it. And does the fortune he left you have any influence on the depth of your mourning? What are you implying, dear sister? Not implying, reiterating. Bluebeard left you mighty well to do. If anyone left me a fortune, I would not be anxious to rake up the how or the why. I would make no bones about it, and you seem to be doing likewise. You speak nonsense. Not at all. If someone left a large estate, such as Bluebeard's, to me, I too would erect huge monuments, put on the most lavish funeral, and offer good character references until the end of my days. That being said, I would still prefer not to wear black. It is, after all, such a dreary color. Oh, sister, to my susceptible mind, after the death of my darling husband, this place is becoming intolerable. The castle, the walk, the lawn, the fountain, the green glades of park over which frisked the dappled deer, all recall the memory of my beloved. It was but yesterday that, as we roamed through the park in the calm summer evening, my bluebeard pointed out to the keeper a fat buck he was to kill. And what happened? Oh, 
the artless stag was brought down, the haunch was cut and roasted, the jelly had been prepared from the currant bushes in the garden that he loved, but my bluebeard never ate of the venison. He favored entrails. Look, Jean, we are passing the old oak hall. Yes, tis hung with trophies won by him in the chase, with pictures of the noble race of bluebeard. Look, by the fireplace, there his gig whip, his riding whip, his bull whip, and one more whip, the purpose of which is unknown to me. There are the bits of string that he used to cut off the parcels and keep, because string is always useful. <laughs> and, and there is the peg on which he used to hang his hat. Well, instead of these uncontrollable emotions and bursts of passionate tears, perhaps we should change residences. Yes, yes, oh, we don't often agree, but you are right, sister. I'm determined to give up Bluebeard Hall and live elsewhere. My love for the memory of the dear deceased render this place too wretched. Of course, an envious and sneering world might say she is tired of the country and wants to marry again. So they are moving into the Bluebeard townhouse. I will not heed their taunts. And I who hate my stepmother, will be happy to accompany you, where we can live and quarrel pretty much as usual. We can drive out in the carriage with the footman and coachman, with the lozenge on the panels, and the bluebeard and shackaback arms quartered on it. That sounds idyllic. And perhaps the fair surroundings will allow us to dwell more peaceably with one another. Or perhaps not. We shall see. Now let us go and tend to our packing. The sooner I can leave these dismal memories behind, the more comfortable I will be. You will be enchanted with the ambiance of the Bluebeard townhouse. Besides being an exceedingly spacious and dismal brick building, with a dismal iron railing in front, with long, dismal, thin windows, and with a graveyard next door, are there other cheerful attributes to the house? It has the advantage of looking out into the churchyard where the monument of my dear late Bluebeard was placed over the family vault. It is the first thing I will see from my bedroom window in the morning, and twill be sweet to watch at night from the parlor with the pallid moonlight lighting up the bust of my beloved. That sounds most entertaining. I have ordered polyanthuses, rhododendra, ranunculuses, and other flowers with the largest names, with the most delightful odors, to be planted within the little iron railing that encloses the last resting place of the bluebeards. Now let us go into the dining room. There's something there I wish to show you. There. What is that monstrosity? That, sister, is a full-length portrait of Mr. Bluebeard by Ticklegill in a militia uniform. He seems to be frowning down upon the knives and the forks and silver trays. And over here on the mantelpiece, he is represented in a hunting costume on his favorite horse. Most impressive. Are there any other likenesses of the dearly departed adorning the premises? Oh, yes. There was a sticking plaster silhouette of him in my bedroom and a miniature in the drawing room where he was drawn in a gown of black and gold holding a gold-tasseled trencher cap with one hand and with the other pointing to a map showing diagrams of the routes to the New World. 
This likeness was taken when he was at St. John's College in Cambridge, and before the growth of his blue beard, which was the ornament of his manhood. And the new blue neck chain you wear, is that made of... Yes, it is made from his beard. Isn't it a lovely testament of what he meant to me? Still, I am not sanguine with our surroundings. Sister, would it not be better to move back to the country house? The air is pure there, and it is pleasanter to look out in a park than on a graveyard, however fine the monuments might be. You are a light-minded hussy, Anne, and I will persist with my usual lamentations and mourning. But the only male you allow on the premises is the parson of the parish, old Dr. Sly. And all he does is read sermons to you. Yes, but his reverence is at least 70 years old, Anne. The townspeople are constantly looking for something to gossip about, and they cannot find a word to say against the liaison of the venerable man and a heart-stricken widow. But what about those of us that want the company of young men, and perhaps an opportunity to fall in love? Oh, I wish there was something to make the townspeople gossip about me. No, Anne. With the exception of Dr. Sly, all other company is to be resolutely refused. Sister, it's been three weeks now, and we are still shut up in this dismal place as if it were a prison. I must allow a proper period of mourning before re-entering society. But, Jean, there have been balls, card parties, assemblies, all of which you have snubbed. When the players came to town, the poor manager came begging us to attend a comedy and was bodily thrust out of the gates by the butler. That was only right and proper under the circumstances. What about the war heroes? who make such ravages on my heart. Oh, how I yearn for them. No, even they will not gain entry until the mourning period is completed. Poor Captain Whiskerfield strutted for three weeks up and down before the house, and he has not had the least effect upon you. Captain O'Grady attempted to bribe the servants, and one night actually scaled the garden wall. But all he got was his foot caught in a bear trap and was horribly mangled. It serves him right. He got what he deserved trying to make love to a bereaved widow. Well, what about Captain Blackbeard? His whiskers vie in magnitude with those of the deceased. And although he has attended church regularly every week, even he has been rejected. Blackbeard got nothing for his piety, and he has shown so little of it in the past. Dr. Sly continues to commend me for the way I have handled each of these upstarts. That must be him now. It is time for his daily visit. Please come in, Dr. Sly. Anne and I were just discussing the parvenus who have attempted to disturb my bereavement. I applaud your conduct toward the gold diggers who would woo you, especially the captain, Blackbeard. Thank you, your reverence. Yet it seems to me that you might endeavor to divert your grief with a little respectable society. I assure you, and I recommend that you should from time to time... Entertain a few grave and sober persons who I will present to you. Well, if you think that is best, I will do as you say. I would only recommend some of the most venerable and worthy of my acquaintance. All married people, however, so you need not be alarmed. Well, yes, I suppose. With the possible exception of my nephew. He is here on vacation, and although he is unmarried... He is not one of your roistering, clinging young fellows. An unmarried man? 
That would be the most exciting thing to happen here since a fly landed in my wine glass. Let me assure you, he is the delight of his mama and sisters. He never drinks anything stronger than tea. He has never missed church, attending three times each Sunday for 20 years. And I hope, dear madam, that you will not object to receiving this honorable and valorous young man. For your sister Anne's sake, if not for your own. Based on your counsel, I will consent to receive Mr. Sly. But I have seen him in the past, and he is not a handsome man. He squints quite a lot. But what does that matter? He is good, and virtue is better than all the beauty of the fields. His soul is pure. Be that as it may, we do not have to gaze upon his soul. It is his countenance that we will be seeing. And do not contradict Dr. Sly. Yes, I will allow Mr. Sly to come to tea, and, with your approval, he may pay us every attention expected from so polite a young gentleman. That is a very sound decision, Mrs. Bluebeard. When I inform my nephew of your approbation, he will be elated. Now, if you will excuse me, I must relay the news to him. The entire town will be talking about you and Mr. Sly. The doctor is keeping all the bachelors out of the house, so his ugly nephew can have the field entirely to himself. It is time for you to stop mourning so others may have a chance. Oh, you little minx, you are just looking for any excuse to engage in dancing or a game of cards. Whatever my motivations might be, it would be good for you to open the house, receive the gentry of the county, and spend some of that fortune. Perhaps you are right... I will go into half-mourning and only dress partially in black. Oh, thank you, sister. We can entertain the best families in town. Perhaps we could even invite Captain Blackbeard. I am certain Dr. Sly would object. There have been some stories about Blackbeard. Why was it that Dolly Codlins left town so suddenly? Oh, the wickedness of the world. Yes, I have heard of the Dolly Codlins affair. Captain Blackbeard is a horrible cad, and I have vowed never to speak to him again. The wretch, he will never enter this house. Dr. Sly will be glad to hear your sentiments. But sister, why are you so angry over Dolly Codlins unless there is some jealousy involved? Jealousy? Ha! Why, I care no more about Captain Blackbeard than I care about one of my footmen. As you say, dear sister, there is a local ball the Saturday night. Perhaps that occasion could be used as your half-morning coming-out gala. Perhaps, so long as we avoid Captain Blackbeard if he is in attendance. Certainly, dear sister. Your wishes are my commands. Ah, what a lovely ball. Why, Captain Blackbeard, you seem agitated. My dearest Miss Anne, I hate to pull you away from your dance with Ensign Trivet, but I must know, what is the matter with your lovely sister? Dolly Codlins is the matter. Mr. Sly has told us all about it. Dolly Codlins? What could possibly be the issue with Dolly Codlins? You know perfectly well. Mr. Sly informed us of your romantic entanglements. It's a lie. A damned lie, I tell you. So Mr. Sly told you all this? Yes. Well, we'll just have to see about Mr. Sly, shan't we? He's sitting by the window, eating iced pastries. And although he pays my sister every courtesy, he has not danced with her, not even once. I will go pay my respects to the widow. Ah! Ah! Pardon me, oh. Mr. Sly. You seem to have placed your foot underneath mine as I approached. 
If you'll excuse me, Miss Bluebeard, I must attend to my toes. It appears some may be broken. Certainly, Mr. Sly. I hope you have a pleasant evening. Miss Bluebeard, now that we are alone... Ensign Trippet, order my carriage for the night? But I had hoped to... Is she leaving? Yes, without uttering a single word to me. So I left the ball, Dr. Sly, without speaking to Captain Blackbeard. Your handling of the situation is beyond reproach, Mrs. Bluebeard. The wickedness and bloodthirstiness of the world increase every day. Would you believe that this very morning one of the ruffians from the barracks presented himself with a challenge from my nephew from Captain Blackbeard? Oh, my lord, is he hurt? Uh, no, no, my dear friend. My nephew Frederick is not hurt. And, oh, what a joy it will be to him to think you have that tender solicitude for his welfare. You know I have always had the highest respect for him. And what if Cap... That anxiety, dearest madam, which you express for Frederick, emboldens me to say that the dear youth lives but for you. Yes, fair lady, do not start at hearing that his sole affections are yours. And with pride shall I carry the news that you are not indifferent to him. Are they going to fight? For heaven's sake, doctor, prevent this dreadful, horrid meeting. Send for a magistrate's warrant. Do anything, but do not suffer those misguided young men to cut each other's throats. Fairest lady, I fly. He flies in the most doddering fashion. Oh, I cannot let this thing happen, Anne. I will rush to Mr. Pound, the magistrate, inform him of the facts, and take out warrants against both Mr. Sly and the captain. There is no need, Jean. One of the servants just informed me that Mr. Sly has abruptly left town. And no wonder, Blackbeard would tear him asunder. Why would the captain issue a challenge to Mr. Sly? Oh, dear sister, Dr. Sly has made it general knowledge around town that you have declared in favor of Mr. Sly. He has? Of course. When anyone asks about the situation, he hems and he haws and he gives no direct answer. But he looks so knowing that his demeanor assures everyone... It is an undisputable fact. I had no idea. It was in the paper today. Listen. We understand that the lovely and wealthy Mrs. Bluebeard is about to once more enter into the bonds of holy wedlock with our distinguished townsman, Frederick Sly, attorney at law. How does that strike you? It strikes me that I must send for Dr. Sly and have a word with him about spreading unfounded gossip. Sister, have you heard the latest? Captain Blackbeard has been incarcerated. Good heavens, why was he put in jail? To keep the peace, after he challenged Mr. Sly to a duel. Oh, this is distressing, distressing indeed. And Mr. Sly, once he received word that Blackbeard was in Excel, came slinking back. He claims... I did not quit the town in order to avoid a duel. Far from it, but to keep out of the way of the magistrates and to give the captain every latitude. I did not threaten a duel, but I stand ready to meet the captain at his convenience. And what was Blackbeard's reaction? 
His rage and indignation can hardly be imagined. According to the rumors, he said, A wife robbed from me, my honor put in question by an odious, lanky, squinting lawyer. I will have blood from the veins of the atrocious Mr. Sly. It appears that violence will be done. Ah, there comes Dr. Sly up the walkway now. Mrs. Bluebeard, you wish to see me? Yes, Dr. Sly, I wanted to ask how you could dare to spread such calumnies about me as those printed in the newspaper. That I would marry your odious nephew? No, send him back to his home at once, and as you value my esteem, as you value my next generous contribution to the parish church, you must contradict in the fullest terms the wicked report concerning me. My dearest madam, you shall be obeyed. The poor lad shall be informed of the fatal change in your sentiments. Change in my sentiments, Dr. Sly? With the destruction of his hopes, rather let me say. And heaven grant that the dear boy has the strength to bear up against the misfortune which comes so suddenly upon him. Oh, that unhappy lover of yours! Is the captain unwell? No, the other one. Poor, poor Mr. Sly. After his uncle told him your true feelings, he made a will leaving you all except five pounds a year to his laundress. He made his will, locked his door, and this morning was found hanging from the bedpost by his servant Sam. He had written, Let me be buried with the pincushion she gave me and the locket containing her hair. Did you give him a pincushion, dear? Did you give him a locket with your hair? It was only a pincushion with some cat hair on it. Oh, heavens, I have killed him. Oh, killed him? Oh. No such thing. The servant cut him down with his face as black as pitch. Oh, so much love. What a pity he squints so. If he would just get his eyes put straight, I might, perhaps... We will discover more in a moment. Dr. Sly is coming up the front steps. Mrs. Bluebeard, perhaps you have heard of the near tragedy at our domicile this morning. My nephew tried yes, to... Yes, Anne was just conveying the news just as you came in. I have come to ask if you would condescend to meet the unhappy young man, to give him some ray of hope. I wish him every happiness and have the highest regard and respect for him. Please beseech him not to pursue a duel or any other violence against Captain Blackbeard. I would be mortified if anyone was hurt on my behalf. But I think that, for the sake of both parties, we had better not meet until Mr. Sly's feelings have grown somewhat cooler. Poor fellow, poor fellow. May he be enabled to bear this frightful calamity. I have taken away his razors and confiscated his belts. Sam, my man, is vigilantly watching over him. That is comforting. Please take good care of him, Dr. Sly. And here we must leave our story for this evening, as our time has run out. We hope you will join us again next week for the exciting conclusion of Bluebeard's Ghost by William Makepeace Thackeray. To find out the answers to such thrilling questions as who will Jean choose as her next husband? Will Blackbeard wind up killing Mr. Sly? 
Will there actually be a ghost in the second half of the story since the word ghost appears in the title? All these questions and more will be answered next week in part two of Bluebeard's Ghost. Our players for this evening were Val Davis as Jean, Lisa Weaver played Anne, Michael Scott was Dr. Sly, Ian Buchanan played Blackbeard, and Curtis Abbott was Mr. Sly. This show was engineered by Darren Helwidge and adapted for radio by Brad Buchanan. This has been a presentation of Maplewood Barn Radio Theater. We hope you will join us again next week at the same time for the exciting conclusion of Bluebeard's Ghost, right here on KBIA.